The Old Testament lesson is from Moses' address to the people of Israel as they finished wandering 40 years in the wilderness and prepared to enter the promised land which God was giving them. Hear God's word. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them, Everything that I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything that I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. Listen to this. This is the gospel as it comes to us from Mark's gospel, chapter 1. And I will begin reading with verse 21. They, Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked one another, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, I don't have a lot of experience with farewell sermons, so I wasn't exactly sure uh, what I should say to you today. You will be relieved to know that I have nothing to get off my chest. There's nothing I've been holding back and saving up for today, and besides, a sermon is not a time to get even uh, or to take a parting shot, even if I felt the need to do that, which I don't. When an airline captain retires, maybe you've witnessed one of these, uh, often the whole family accompanies the, the captain for his or her final flight. The air traffic controllers uh, ask the captain which runway that uh, he or she would like to use. I would choose the longest and widest uh, one available. And then after the plane uh, taxis almost to the gate, uh, the fire trucks come out and uh, water cannons hose the plane in a final salute. 
Uh, you can go to YouTube and see examples of this. It's quite moving. I saw this in person one time when a member of my church in Florida retired from flying commercial airlines or airplanes. And I, I thought it was a very moving experience. The captain, who was an elder at my church, and, and someone who had become a dear friend, came through the jetway into the uh, waiting area where he was met with cheers from uh, friends and members of the church, I was surprised to see that he had tears in his eyes. It was the only time that I had ever witnessed this. Uh, I suppose you don't want the person flying your airtime, uh, airplane to be bursting into tears all the time. So, uh, one last time he allowed himself uh, a tear. But I'm not asking you to turn on the water hoses today after worship. Some of you uh, are thinking this is a terrific idea. Please, no. Please. Uh, I think I have a better idea uh, for what to do today. Uh, very early in my ministry, I attended a, a funeral service with my senior pastor, who was someone I very much admired and had a, a deep respect for. And during the service, while sitting next to him, I could sense that he was not very happy, and he, he seemed to be annoyed with, with, with everything that was happening. I think you know the sounds that people make sitting next to you when they're just annoyed with uh, what people are saying. Uh, 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 verbal grunts. Well, we heard one tribute uh, after another uh, to the person who had died, but the, the problem was we weren't hearing much about God, uh, who presumably we had come to worship. And so as we were leaving the church that day, my senior pastor uh, stopped, and finally he, he couldn't hold us in anymore. And he turned to me and he said, and obviously I've not forgotten these words because I'm going to quote them for you right now. He said, Doug, if it should ever be your responsibility to preach the sermon at my funeral, preach the gospel. So thank you, Fred, for that advice. First need for tissues. And for all of the other advice uh, given to me uh, along the way, I am here today more than 37 years later, in no small part because of Fred and Fred's patience and Fred's modeling of what a pastor looks like. The other person who should be thanked is the person who uh, was very, very surprised the day I told her that I was thinking about going to seminary. After dating for a few weeks and realizing that this was going to be a serious relationship, at least I was hoping it was going to be serious. I don't know what she was thinking. Uh, I took Susan out to dinner at the best restaurant I could find, which isn't saying much. Uh, and I wore the only suit I owned at the time. And I said, uh, there's something I have to tell you, which, uh, trust me about this, is never a good way to begin a conversation with someone you love. She could have left me that night, and uh, maybe she thought about it, but instead, she has stayed with me for more than 40 years now as my most trusted confidant and the best supporter and encourager and advocate any married person could ever have. Frankly, I don't see how ministry is possible without a full partner. You know, and I was blessed to have the best. So, Doug, what about the gospel you were going to preach? Thank you, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Last Sunday, I was sitting in the front row at the annual meeting, and I listened, 
as uh, a discussion broke out about attendance and giving, two topics I have heard often uh, discussed over the years. Uh, one of the comments that was made, and I forget now who made it just as well, was that we should be a more friendly and, and welcoming church. Uh, we should have a time uh, uh, at the beginning, for example, when we meet people sitting near us. We should have a welcome pad on which people give their names and, and email addresses. We should make sure that the pastors follow up on visitors, especially when they give their names and email addresses, uh, which, by the way, we always do. Uh, we should even think about translation services, passing out earphones to uh, people who enter and, and then have their worship translated into a variety of languages, and so on. All of these suggestions were good, and all of them are ideas that we, or rather you, should consider. The church, I think, should try its best to be a, a friendly and, and a welcoming place, but as you know, I have had some biblical and theological training. And so when a conversation like that takes place, especially at an annual meeting, and especially when more than 100 of our most active members are in attendance, I start to think biblically and theologically. What does it mean to be a friendly church, I wondered. Did the Apostle Paul ever instruct the churches he founded all over the the, the Eastern Mediterranean world to be more friendly? Did he ever encourage them to adopt the most recent technologies or the best marketing strategies? Uh, and the short answer, as I think you know, you know is no, and he did not. Uh, but what is more interesting is why not? Why Paul had almost nothing to say about friendliness or marketing strategies, or anything of the sort. I should point out that Jesus, too, had no interest in friendliness. When he spoke in the Galilean synagogues, no one, as far as we know, remarked about his amazing smile, or his firm handshake. What they noticed about him and, and what launched his ministry was, and you heard it in the gospel lesson I read for you this morning, what they noticed was his authority. It was an authority that was different from, from anything they had ever heard. It was certainly different from that of the, the religious types, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in Jerusalem. What, what attracted such large crowds and and according to the Gospels, uh, there were thousands of them at a time. What, what attracted such large crowds of people was that Jesus spoke the truth. He was disarming, not because of his kind smile and, and, and his sense of humor or his magnetic presence, although he may have had all of those things. What attracted people to him was that he taught as one having authority. You know... I believe that we underestimate our product. We spend a lot of time, not just this church, every church I've, I've ever served, we spend a lot of time on strategies and uh, best practices and taking note of what the leaders in the field are doing. And what we neglect uh, or what we underestimate is the power of the product to sell itself if only we were able to get out of the way. 
I'm sorry to use the language of marketing, but often we have no other language to use. If I were a musician, I would sing this. (laughs) You don't want that. (laughs) If I were an artist, I would paint a picture of it. Right? If I were a poet, I would write all of this out so that you could be as transformed by this message as I have been. But I am a lowly pastor. What should I do? All right, well, thank you for asking. Here at the end of my career and at the end of my useful life as a, a pastor, I have never been more sure of this one thing, namely that the gospel does not need my help it certainly doesn't need my marketing skills. Right? It doesn't need my warmth or my dry wit or anything else that I think I'm using to, to help it along. The gospel has survived just fine all these years in spite of my best attempts to help it along. So what are we supposed to do? I think the answer is sing it, paint it, proclaim it, and most important, live it. And and never, never ever get in the way. Uh, This was the earliest lesson I learned in the church. I, I was five years old. Never learned a better lesson than this, than I learned in my kindergarten Sunday school class. I learned to sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Everything else in my life, like my seminary training, for example, everything else has been commentary on this one important truth, namely, let it shine. When I arrived at seminary, and and, uh, my friend Steve Litch, who is going to be your interim pastor, will be glad to confirm this story, and he'll be glad to tell you lots of others, too, if you ask him. But when I arrived at seminary, I thought that I knew my Bible. In fact, I thought I knew it better than just about anyone who was there. And so I I thought of myself at the time as very, very advanced. Sort of funny now, it wasn't then. But, and and this I have to say was quite a, a painful lesson to learn. I soon learned that Bible knowledge doesn't count for all that much. And don't get me wrong, I mean, if you're in a Bible study, good for you. Uh, You should keep studying the Bible, and if you're not in a Bible study, I hope that you will find one and start studying the Bible. But what I learned, and, and what I've been learning ever since, often painfully, is that how I live the gospel is far more important than how much I know about it. Living it day by day and hour by hour is what counts And that is what other people are going to notice about us. I have spent my whole life, as the Apostle Paul puts it, growing up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. And I hope I get a few more years on this earth because I have a lot more growing to get to that point. So better than knowing the gospel or marketing the gospel is living the gospel and demonstrating it and revealing it through the person you are, and the decisions you make, right, and the causes you support, and the way you speak to and about other people. I have a suggestion. If you want to be a friendlier, more welcoming church, and every church should be more of those things, then try doing that. 
Try growing up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. At least 20 years ago, I went on some sort of uh, overnight retreat at a, a Catholic retreat center in Chicago, and I was standing at the reception desk waiting to check in. And I noticed a small sign, which I think changed my life. Uh, On the sign were these words, when a stranger arrives, Christ is present. And at the time, uh, I didn't know this because I was brought up to be suspicious of Catholics uh, and everything they taught. Uh, uh, But those words uh, draw heavily uh, from the hospitality teachings of Benedictine monks. In the Middle Ages, there were no uh, five-star hotels with complimentary breakfasts and and fitness centers, so travelers would often stop at monasteries, and the monks had strict rules about how to welcome guests. According to the rule of St. Benedict, they were to welcome guests as they would welcome Christ himself. Because, as Scripture tells us, and this is in the epistle to the Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, Some have entertained angels without knowing it. In the Old Testament alone, there are no fewer than 36 places where we are commanded to show hospitality to the stranger and to the guest and and to the foreigner. In the New Testament, the Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia, which literally means the love of strangers. Any way you look at it, tell me if I'm wrong. Any way you look at it, this is an important idea, biblically speaking. Why do we have such a hard time remembering it? When Jesus spoke to his disciples about separating the the sheep from the goats and how you figure out who a sheep really is, what he said was, when you welcome the stranger, you welcomed me. In Jesus' mind, the sheep, those whom he welcomed into the joy of his presence, were those who offered hospitality to strangers. So the Bible never answers the question, how do you get your numbers up? (laughs) And I am ashamed. I have lots of regrets, not time enough to tell them all. But I'll tell you this one, I am ashamed of how many years during the course of my ministry I have nevertheless thought so much about that question. How do we get our numbers up? What the Bible does say is that learning to love the way Jesus loved is the most important work we could be called to do. We love the way Jesus loved by welcoming the stranger and by speaking the truth and by living our lives with honesty and integrity and purpose. If we were to do that, if we were to focus all of the energy and the the resources of this church on that one thing, I think people would notice. Wouldn't they? They would be clamoring to join us because it is so rare and it is such a precious thing. One more thing. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. It it has been the experience of my life. And I will never, ever forget you. 
or the years I have spent with you in this place.